In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, we are going to shift gears a little bit from my usual lineup of interviews and explorations of topics related to music and books, um, in that I am solely focusing on a book review. Now, occasionally on the podcast, I do feature uh, book reviews. Often, as you know, I interview authors themselves, and I wanted to use this as an opportunity to reflect on a new title that I read, Women of Walt Disney Imagineering, 12 Women Reflect on Their Trailblazing Theme Park Careers. Now, this is a recent release, as I mentioned, uh, just came out from Disney Editions, and I received a review copy, and I wanted to share my thoughts on this really intriguing title. This is going to be a shorter episode, um, but I'm going to cover a lot of ground, starting off with discussing just the design and aesthetics of the book itself and some general observations. And then for those of you who may be inclined to learn more about each of the 12 individuals featured, I'm going to give a, a brief overview of each of them. Um, I certainly don't want to reveal all the inner aspects because then you know, it would perhaps ruin your enjoyment of going through the book yourself, um, but I will certainly cover that. Let's, let's start off with the topic, maybe. Women of Walt Disney Imagineering. When I saw this about to debut, I was thinking to myself, well, it's about time. Um, there's certainly been so many fascinating um, individuals as part of WDI over the years who have not been spotlighted. So this book provides the mechanism for a bunch of their stories to be compiled. Um, you know, another title that came to mind as I as I was approaching this, which is Mindy Johnson's wonderful book about women in Disney animation, which is uh, a compendium. It's an absolute must-have piece that chronicles many, many decades of Disney history with uh, rich photos and uncovered artwork and um, just, a, it's a, an absolute treasure trove. 
And with this is a slightly different title in that it is not uh, an art book. It is not a book that's going to feature a lot of imagery, although there is a section in the middle that uh, contains some photographs of uh, each of the featured individuals in the field and some of the projects and products they're responsible for. Um, but this is, uh, you know, it's a it's meant to be a different type of release. It's really uh, meant to be an autobiography of sorts for each of these uh, 12 featured folks. Um, it's a smaller book as well. I can easily hold it in the palm of my hand, that Mindy Johnson book, uh, not so much. That is a huge coffee table book. Um, but what's good about this is that it's, uh, you know, if you feel so inclined to go to the theme parks and uh, walk around and, and carry this in your hand, it's uh, not very difficult to do that. And you can have a greater appreciation for some of the projects um, through directly learning about it from these individuals themselves. Um, even though it's a relatively small book, um, it actually fits uh, it, the, I should say it fits, uh, the, the font size, I meant to say, I'm just too ahead of myself with all of my thoughts. The font size is actually rather big and there's a lot of spacing. So in my estimation, this book actually could have been smaller, uh, in size and contained the same amount of information. I'm sure there was, uh, certainly some, uh, intentional choices behind its size, but I think it actually could have been a bit more compact. Uh, I mentioned that there are some glossy, uh, pages in the middle that feature photos of each of the individuals. Um, this is really nice because it, it adds for more of that human connection, being able to see their faces and the projects they were involved in. Um, each of them gets a, a couple of pages, um, and you can see the early parts of their careers, which is really fun seeing them in the field. Uh, for instance, Paula Dinkle, who's one of them um, illustrated, she uh, she, you actually see her working on New Fantasyland at Disneyland, not Magic Kingdom's New Fantasyland, but Disneyland in spring 1982. It was also in these pages that I saw a very rare, and when I say rare, I mean extremely rare picture of Club Disney, which is the uh, regional entertainment center that was in existence for just a couple of years, two, three years uh, in the late 90s. Um, these were all around uh, they, they were mostly in California and Arizona, and I actually had the pleasure of, of participating in Club Disney um, as a, as a seven-year-old myself, but there's been very, very rare uh, information that has been disseminated about it over the years. There's a great YouTube video that kind of chronicles its development, but you won't find many Disney books. I, I can't really even think of many Disney books that, um, or any Disney books that feature imagery from this place that has been uh, just documented so minimally. So it was really cool to know that she was involved in that project in terms of the lighting design. So I love the pictures. I wish there were more. Um, I'm sure there were um, some space limitations there and, and maybe from a cost standpoint, is, that's why they limited it to just a, a few dozen pages um, in the middle. But um, it's great to see um, these projects that they're describing. So as a reference point, when you're reading the chapter and want to gather more context about a place, it is indeed helpful to be able to turn to these pages, and some of them are illustrated. Um, the cover art of the book is really cool. It's almost like looking at a, a table top of uh, an Imagineer. There's a hard hat and some uh, colored pens and um, some swatches. It's just a, a lovely design, um, and, it, and it also illustrates each of the 12 contributing authors right on right at the front so you know um, who's 
part of this. Um, I will say that the uh, font is kind of fun. Um, I know we're going really into the details here, but the font for each of the chapter titles actually felt very reminiscent of the style from Mary Poppins, which is a little bit whimsical and not everything is uh, level. It's, uh, there's a, a little bit of a crookedness to it, um, but that's very intentional, as I mentioned. Um, each chapter is very variable in terms of length. Some are just uh, several pages, others are more than 20 pages or so, but what's good about it is because, again, these are little autobiographies of individuals. You know, you can easily just pick up the book for 10-15 minutes, read a chapter, um, and just, you know, go back to it and read another chapter. You do not need to check this out in chronological order. So, in terms of the design of the book, um, I definitely love it. Um, I wish there was more imagery and artwork, and I also think it could have been a bit more compact, but it, it definitely serves the purpose. Now, in terms of general observations of the book, before I go into some of the minutiae associated with each of the 12 chapters um, and, and each of the Imagineers, one very fascinating element is that this is not necessarily uh, you know, a book that you know, you would maybe want uh, young children reading. While it's, of course, very important for um, them to gain exposure in terms of the particular careers these women uh, led, it is worth noting that there are very direct references uh, to sexual harassment in the workplace. There's some PG-13 level language, um, including several F-bombs that I don't think I would have anticipated from a, a Disney Editions book, but what that means is that there's a level of candidness and authenticity that I think makes it an absolute must for um, most any reader, particularly those who want to enter the field of Imagineering, uh, especially for young women, who is, I imagine, one of the target audiences. But I'll say that um, even as a male reader, I found it to be very captivating because what most uh, what's most important to me as a reader is that I'm captivated, that I'm compelled, and that ultimately I'm moved. And, and this book definitely uh, served that very well for me. Um, as I mentioned, there is a huge focal point on just the experience of being a woman in Imagineering. And while there are uh, certainly sections that focus on particular projects that each of these Imagineers covered, there's also equally as much attention placed on just how they navigate the workplace, particularly in many decades ago when um, there was even more prominent sexism in the workplace. And as I mentioned, uh, certainly a very overt um, and unwanted uh, sexual advances from male colleagues where there was uh, much talking down to women employees, where there were many roles where women did not have opportunities because of uh, what society was uh, looking like at the time. And I think that's what's really the one of the most salient aspects of this book is that it feels um, it feels like there was not much uh, editing involved from the standpoint of let's cover this up or let's overlook this. This is raw. This is real. Um, and it's ex and it's very moving. Um, it illustrates the tenacity that these Imagineers demonstrated in the midst of a lot of sexism, in the midst of a lot of opposition from folks who did not necessarily always want to see them advance in their respective fields and how they persevered. So as much as this is an investigation into uh, how Disney Imagineering has evolved over the years, it's 
also uh, quite a testament to uh, the just the resilience that these individuals showed um, and that we have a real taste of, of what they experienced through these direct, um, very unedited anecdotes. I, I think it really accomplishes the job of of possessing, um, you know, a sense of uh, like almost as if you were there. Um, I, I was quite moved from this, um, from reading this. Um, Paula Dinkle um, referenced her earlier as one of the Imagineers featured. Um, she was very direct about the sexism in the workplace and perhaps said it best. I learned that women who complained didn't get very far. Um, and unfortunately, that's very reflective of the, the settings that they um, inhabited at the time. And unfortunately, we still see this prevalent in, in many workspaces. Um, so I think this book comes at a really, really important time um, in how we look at, at our society and how we um, engage with individuals who have not always held power in society. Um, as I mentioned, there is a lack of imagery in the book, um, limited mostly to the um, that middle section with those glossy photos. I, I do find that very disappointing. I would have loved more on that front, um, but what we do have is, is certainly uh, solid. Um, you'll notice if you uh, check out the cover and if you read the book that the foreword comes from um, from Ginger Z, who perhaps you know from Good Morning America. Uh, Ginger's been part of that family for almost a decade now. It's um, hard to believe it's been so long. And I think Ginger writes a, a very um, nice and thoughtful opening to the book. Um, I, I guess I am a little bit surprised that it is not a another Imagineer or someone who uh, is more directly connected to the Disney brand as opposed to ABC News. Um, certainly, I think Ginger was so selected or identified for being a trailblazer as a, as a female meteorologist and, more importantly, a meteorologist. Um, I, d I don't necessarily feel um, it's perhaps as fitting as it would be if it were someone who was, um, you know, a, another legendary Imagineer or, or someone connected with the, the Disney Parks brand, but, um, you know, process that as, as you may. Um, what I was really interested in through the introduction is that Disney is framed as a conservative company. That's, um, that is the language that uh, the individual uses. And I, I wouldn't have expected this, uh, for, at least not for that to have actually made it uh, past the initial um, for, uh, stage, because I, I would imagine most people would consider Disney to be uh, very liberal, but uh, Mel Malmberg in that intro establishes that that is essentially the the foreground for the company and that you know that there have been changes over time but um it was established as a more traditional entertainment corporation um gosh there's just so much to unpack here i i love how the book chronicles individuals entire careers as opposed to just little pieces in time certainly uh we do get a taste of uh, particular points and moments in individuals' careers, but we really see the full evolution from when they st start at Disney um, and to many points when, when they retire as well. Um, it, it, you know, it, what's beautiful about the book is that it is such a valuable resource for up-and-comers in the field of entertainment and those who want to pursue Imagineering. 
I can see this being a staple for any teenage or young adult individual who wants to enter Disney, particularly as a woman, and wants to see what, what their potential can be. And through hearing these stories, um, it's very palpable. Um, I, I was really um, disappointed at times with the, the framing of the um, particular chapters. I think every, every individual's unique style is present in it, but there is a lot of jumping around in points in time. So what that means as a reader is that it's sometimes hard to follow um, individuals' careers if they're not presented in a chronological format. Um, similarly, there is uh, a certain degree of tonal shifts at times in terms of from talking about particular projects they worked on to um, challenges they faced in the workplace to, to maybe discussing some uh, other aspects of their lives. And I think it's ultimately important to present the whole package. Just the presentation of such being a little bit uh, disjointed does make it hard to follow. So um, that is something to be mindful of. Um, there were some interesting threads across the individuals featured in this book, including, as several of them note very explicitly, uh, many of them joined Disney because of uh, nepotism and direct connections to, to the company. Um, and uh, I just, I was really intrigued by that. I think there were at least four of them who made reference to that uh, because of their fathers working for Disney, that allowed them to initially get the job but what, what is also explicitly shared is that they also had to demonstrate that talent and tenacity in order to advance in their careers. Um, some individuals left Disney at different points, either be, through being laid off or at their own volition. Um, in the early 80s, right around the time of Epcot, certainly uh, any Disney historian or aficionado knows that that was a very troubling time for the company in terms of leadership, in terms of finances, and that contributed to a lot of uh, Imagineers no longer working for the company, but later coming back. Um, I, I seem to recall that was part of Kevin Rafferty's journey as well, which he discussed at length in his wonderful Magic Journeys book. But ultimately, um, these trajectories uh, are not always linear, and that's what the Imagineers present in this title. Um, there are unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes they would leave for other entertainment companies, come back to Disney, uh, do some consulting work, uh, but there's, uh, there's a lot of variability. So overall thoughts on the book itself, and then I'll just share some fun facts related to particular uh, individuals uh, who are authors on this, is that this is a really solid title. The narrative may not necessarily always reflect what is what would be my first choice in terms of more of a chronological presentation. Um, and certainly you have already heard my thoughts on the disappointment with the lack of artwork and imagery. Um, but this is a really rich book, which features tons of stories that you otherwise would not have heard in other contexts because some of these folks have not been spotlighted uh, as, as saliently. And that's all the better for this book because it allows them to really, um, as I said, very candidly talk about their careers and working for Disney. And I give Disney Editions so many kudos for creating space for this book, for allowing these stories to be presented in, in a very unfiltered manner. At least that's how it comes off um, from a reading standpoint. 
um, and, and ultimately giving a lot of hope and inspiration for folks who, and particularly young women who want to enter Imagineering. This is an essential title for folks who uh, identify as being part of that community, but also for the general Disney fan and, and consumer of uh, Disney entertainment who would be really uh, interested in, in gathering these perspectives, because I, I always love learning about uh, various individuals associated with the Walt Disney Company, and, and this book is a nice compendium. Um, all right, well, let's, let me talk a little bit about each of the 12 people featured. Just going to share a few fun facts or observations. Um, so I, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'm going to kind of go through them uh, roughly in the order in which they're presented uh, in the book. So starts off with uh, Maggie Elliott, um, who was Senior Vice President of Creative Development Administration. Um, she was Executive Dick Irvine's daughter, um, and she actually held a 1968 summer role in the model shop, and she created some of the suits for the Country Bears, which was pretty fun to learn about. Um, many folks in, um, f featured in this book and, and others started their Imagineering careers in the model shop. That was a, a space um, particularly uh, earlier um, in the days of WED, um, as, as it was once called, where individuals started their careers, particularly for women. Um, but women were viewed, unfortunately, as not being able to serve as model makers at the time, as Maggie points out. Uh, many were relegated, like herself, to smaller projects. But, um, but what was really cool was to hear her anecdote about drafting a proposal to be a model shop coordinator. Um, unexpectedly, she was offered to become a manager, and ultimately she led a, a very long career uh, with Disney Imagineering. With Kathy Rogers, uh, who, is an exec who is an executive show producer, her career began in the Disneyland parking lot. Um, and at the time, women did not have opportunities to hold uh, men's roles um, in those spaces, um, which later would change um, into the 70s and, and onward. Um, but just the, the origins of these individuals' paths, you know, you hear about, you know, folks like Tony Baxter, Baxter, excuse me, uh, scooping ice cream and, you know, Kathy Rogers in the Disneyland parking lot just goes to show that, you know, magical careers can start most anywhere. Um, Kathy was an attraction lead and trainer. She worked in show quality standards, and I love the story of that she participated in the development of Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D, and of course that was the last uh, major project that Jim Henson worked on before unexpectedly passing away. Katie Olson, uh, Principal col Color Concept Designer, that's kind of a cool title. Um, very interestingly, she was originally intending on becoming uh, someone to work in law enforcement, um, and her trajectory changed. She worked for John Hench at Disney, um, and she was also involved in some uh, you know, projects with Tokyo Disneyland. And she talked about just the challenges of that cultural transition. Several other of her colleagues throughout the book talked about their work on, on Tokyo Disneyland and navigating um, that, just that jolt um, in being in an unfamiliar space and learning a new language and, and, and ultimately communicating with folks whose, uh, whose language, whose traditions, whose um, ideas might may very well differ um and certainly that was a huge leap for disney at the time to to have a presence outside of the united states in that type of manner and um, it's it's really interesting to hear about katie's story via that chapter 
another chapter focuses on Julie Svensson, a uh, concept show designer. Um, her dad uh, worked for Disney in, uh, in animation. Mom worked for Disney, too. Um, and she was just a, very much an artist. She spent a lot of time drawing while growing up. And um, ultimately, she was wanting to obtain an art education in hopes of serving as a designer. Um, one of her early projects was designing a poster or a series of posters for the Crystal Palace um, at Disneyland, that restaurant. And um, that internship as an illustrator led to a really cool career, including painting illustrations that would serve as new Fantasyland dark ride murals. Very neat. Paula Dinkle, I mentioned her earlier, um, principal show lighting designer, and she was enthralled by special effects, how different types of lighting could help set the mood for a space. And, you know, it's once you read a chapter like this or any others that are based on more niche fields, you realize how every element of a space in, in the Disney theme parks is by virtue of the talents of a variety of folks across a variety of professions and lighting is perhaps not a space that I've given as much thought to until reading about Paula's work. And she was so enthralled in uh, gaining knowledge about all the little lighting effects on Pirates of the Caribbean, including how the fireflies worked and the flames and so much more. And you realize that so much goes into a scene and, um, and that really comes through through this chapter. Um, I also loved how she talked about her role and others' roles in forging more intentional relationships between WED or WDI and Disneyland maintenance because there was a disconnect uh, for a number of years. Um, and yeah, she was told she would never be a principal designer on a project. She wanted to prove others wrong, and guess what? She did. So great to hear about Paula's journey. Like I said, a uh, reference to Club Disney and the now defunct Disney Quest. So um, I, I love hearing about these uh, projects uh, because, you, like I said, there's not as much attention to them, certainly not in the case of Club Disney. Meanwhile, for Elizabeth, or otherwise known as Eli Mincef Erlandson, uh, principal concept architect, a very fascinating journey, uh, grew up in Brazil, lived there for the first uh, decade or so of her life, uh, first 12 years, I think, uh, studied architecture as a mechanism to pursue art. That was really her uh, first love and, and passion, and her father encouraged her to apply to WED um, as a college graduation present of sorts. Uh, she interviewed with tons of famous Imagineers, and, um, and ultimately she described herself as like a, quote, thirsty, bottomless well of learning, end quote. Just that notion of Lifelong learning, absolutely value that notion. Um, she designed pavilions in World Showcase, working with folks like uh, Harper Goff, um, who really taught her about the importance of attending to the smallest details because everything matters. Um, so do uh, just taking uh, pride in smaller projects that ultimately could lead to other endeavors. Um, she uh, worked for Universal Studios Hollywood for a time, though became a consultant, worked for both companies, uh, was involved in Walt Disney Studios Paris. Um, I, I like how she highlighted the importance of being part of teams without egotistical individuals. There's that sense of humility that comes through. Um, and 
And I think what's really threaded across all the chapters are these like little life lessons and takeaways and reflections that illustrate how to be a good human and how to be a good employee and colleague to others. I mentioned earlier how this book has its level of candor, and it also extends to talking about uh, some things that uh, Disney perhaps uh, weren't at their best with, and that was having limited budgets for some of the theme parks uh, around the turn of the century. So Walt Disney Studios Paris, as, uh, as she notes, quote, our potential had not been tapped to its fullest, our creativity limited, end quote. There were a lack of resources, and I, I like how she doesn't shy away from this and Disney um, maintained that, because it's true, that was a project that did not receive the level of support that it needed, and ultimately that is a big reason why it uh, has re required such revitalization in recent years um, to, to be a more complete theme park as opposed to just a lot of concrete. Tori Atencio McAuliffe, uh, executive and interior designer, uh, you might insinuate based on the name that she has a Disney connection. Yes, her father was the legendary ex Atencio. Uh, she obtained an internship later in a full-time role as an interior designer. Um, again, she worked with John Hench. She did a lot of traveling in her role for Disney. Uh, I, there's a fun story about traveling to Norway and needing to get a checking account there um, to uh, purchase props. Um, whereas a lot of people changed their departments, she was pretty consistent, uh, very involved in the development of Disneyland Paris um, and some stuff with uh, Animal Kingdom 2, the interiors. Um, I, and, 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 you know, I just, as you read one chapter and another another, you start sensing some themes. And, and one of them is just the idea of that, you know, to be successful in any discipline, you need to be open-minded, you need to be very uh, attentive, and, and also um, passionate. And that comes through um, just, you know, she uh, just, just described the journey of, of being a working mother and, and really also being dedicated to her work. She talked candidly about uh, Disney California Adventures financial restraints uh, as well. So they're, uh, they're again, we, we see that time and time again, that um, Disney was, was very open to keeping some of those details. A few other people to mention, uh, Pam Rank, principal show lighting designer, uh, who followed in Paula Dinkle's footsteps in, in many ways, and, and Pam uh, describes that in her chapter. She worked on Tokyo Disney Sea, was apart from her husband for 18 months on that project. Um, and, you know, it also illustrates uh, how folks navigate long distance relationships, um, which, uh, you know, adds that familial piece to the book. It's not just focused on the work, but how they handle their personal lives when also being really invested in their work. Um, and there's also an attentiveness to culture shock that she experienced, not just when uh, moving to Japan, but also coming back to the States. Becky Bishop's uh, story is actually split up across two chapters or two parts, um, served as a principal landscape architect. The first little chapter is a, just an anecdote about searching for a perfect tree that uh, would be situated against the Nautilus attraction at Disneyland Paris. Um, the second part is more extensive and focuses on her career broadly. Um, there's a great story about uh, about the publicity for Splash Mountain, so I'll encourage you to check that out in the book. 
Karen Connolly Armitage concept designer. Um, one of a few people whose uh, partner or significant other also worked for Disney. Her husband worked for WDI. Uh, she was responsible for a lot of the gangster street scene in the great movie ride. Rip, very much missed that. Um, and there's a few references to the Port Disney Westcott projects that never came to fruition. Lynn Macer Rhodes, producer, um, is one of the latter chapters in the book, never imagined herself to enter the world of entertainment background being in public affairs, uh, but ultimately uh, her, her, she had a very uh, interesting career with Disney um, in, in terms of just uh, leading regional programs and uh, working in Japan. Um, she developed a whole series of workshops and professional development opportunities where she enlisted folks from a variety of fields um, including futurists. This was, again, uh, during the time of Epcot's development. And she said, you know, everybody responds when you say you work for Disney. So it was cool to hear how she recruited people to help uh, Disney cast members uh, you know, build attractions and, and get expertise. Um, so there's also a, a great quote that I want to highlight that Lynn mentioned in, in her chapter, quote, too often in the workplace, honesty is traded for ambition. My honesty wasn't something I was interested in trading, but it got me in trouble, end quote. And she related an instance of clarifying a mistaken statement that, that the chairman of the board made and, and actually being told that, you know, she messed up in, in, in doing that. Um, not, not that she was incorrect, but rather that um, perhaps the, the approach uh, didn't go the way it was intended and, and how it could have been. Last chapter is with Peggy Ferris, Executive Creative Development. Her Disney career started with Storybook Land Canal Boats, right? Yes, Disneyland, let's go through Monstro. Uh, such a cool and unique attraction. And um, her Disney career ultimately led her to uh, join the, the press conference team in Walt Disney World in 1969. She learned about how everything would operate. Uh, her trajectory would take her into hospitality and ultimately planning bookings and handling guest activities for the Magic Kingdom resorts around the time of Walt Disney World's opening. Um, she was majorly involved in Epcot, handling historical research, research for Spaceship Earth, one of my absolute favorites. Um, and her vast interests uh, contributed to her uh, being able to gather a variety of perspectives um, so that every scene in that classic dark ride would feel authentic. Um, and there's a great quote from her too, quote, my experience with Spaceship Earth taught me a valuable lesson. I learned that Imagineers don't care if you've never done something before, as long as you are willing to embrace the assignment with your whole heart, to be curious, resourceful, and relentless, end quote. Fantastic. Um, she also was majorly involved in building a variety of corporate alliances during the 90s and 2000s, and so there's some uh, good stories associated with that as well. So that is a snapshot of women of Walt Disney Imagineering. 12 women reflect on their trailblazing theme park careers. I hope this offered you some perspective into what the book features in terms of those individual stories, but also collectively um, my observations um, and, and so much more. This is a really solid title. I very much enjoyed it. I appreciate having the chance to, to review it. And um, as I said, this is a perfect title for your young adult who wants to enter the field of Imagineering. Uh, 
I say it's like it is a field. It very much is a a way of life. Um, and we hear these stories just surface in the best possible way. We hear the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that Disney itself is publishing a book where this negativity is uncovered. Um, I think is a testament to um, what what they're aiming to do here, which is present a, a raw, unfiltered take of what these women Imagineers traversed. And ultimately, they provide a lot of hope to anyone who wants to enter the space, but also those who are trailblazers in their respective disciplines based on their unique identities. And I'm just very thrilled to see a, a release like this. I would highly encourage you to check it out, pick it up, and uh, check out some of those stories on your own. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.